Today we are uh, at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I share this with you? Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So in this powerful chapter, Paul has been defending uh, the integrity of his ministry. He had been, um, apparently there were some in Corinthians, especially some false teachers that had come through who had criticized Paul and his ministry, saying he wasn't like the other apostles. And he's shared uh, at the end of chapter 3 that if we behold the glory of the Lord, that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And that we are fragile, perishable bodies, but in these clay pots, he called them, we have a priceless treasure. And our power doesn't come from us, but from uh, the creator of the heaven and earth, who is all-powerful. We die to our old self so that his life in us might deliver the wonder of the light of the new covenant to others who are in darkness. And he continues now um, by quoting Psalm 116, verse 10. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Now when rabbis quote a scripture, they expect their listeners to know what's around the scriptures. Um, the Jews that he shared with, and many of those in the church were Gentile, but the Jews that knew this passage sang these psalms, and it's from Psalm 116. So they sang them. They were familiar with them. And so they hear a line, and they're supposed to relate to the content of that particular psalm or passage. Now, since our minds are so full of other things, we probably didn't go right away, oh, that's Psalm 116, and what was before it, and what was that? Don't you wish that's where we were at today? But, uh, so since we aren't, let's look at that and get some insight into why he quoted that particular passage. It, Psalm 116 verse 1 says, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. 
So Paul had shared how he and his team had suffered earlier in the letter, how, how they had even been at the point where they despaired of life and they didn't know how they were gonna go on and yet how God was their strength and he helped them endure and keep going. Verse two and uh, through four, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on his name as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Now, in Romans 10, 13, Paul actually uh, refers to part of this and says, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He despaired of life itself, but when he called on the Lord God in his time, God's time, God delivered him. So Paul takes the words of the psalm and is applying them to his own life. And when we read the Bible, that's what we need to do as well. This was speaking to Paul, and I have no doubt he had this memorized. Uh, he refers to it in another place in his letters. So this, this passage was one that was special to him, and it spoke to him over and over. Are our thoughts about the situations that we go through interpreted through scripture we have memorized? Sometimes, maybe, every once in a while. We need to get to that point. And the only way we're gonna do it is if we live in God's word. If we take time every morning to be in it. You don't have to spend uh, three or four hours in it. Even if you just take 15 minutes, a half an hour and meditate on it. And I guarantee you, if you take a half an hour, eventually you'll be taking 45 minutes and then you'll be taking an hour and then you'll want more because it's so good how God speaks to us through the word. Verses five through nine. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So this is a psalm of thanksgiving for answered prayer. To Paul, it was the hope that he clung to through those times of difficulty when he didn't know how he could go on. His soul wasn't at rest regarding the Corinthian church. He had heard of all this criticism and this false teaching, and he was, he was anxious over the church. And until Titus brought him news, he was just praying and pleading with God, Lord, help them get through this, help them receive my letter of correction. Surely this psalm helped Paul during those years of imprisonment as well. And he knew the church and his life were in God's merciful hands. And he believed that God would bring the answer just as he did in this psalm. And now we come to the passage that he quoted in our first verse in, in our passage for today, verses 10 and 11. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted I said in my alarm, all men are liars. So he only quoted the first line, but what does that tell us about his heart that ached over the church? 
the false teachers had sown lies about him. But as we go through the psalm, we'll see the same conclusion that Paul reached, as this, the same conclusion this psalm ends up in, as that Paul reached as well. Verse 12 and 13, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, and call on the name of the Lord. You know what the name of the Lord is? Stephen Charnock said, the name of the Lord is the sum of his attributes. In other words, I call on all that God is. I know he is merciful. I know he's gracious. I know he's righteous. I know he's holy. I know he's true. I know he's faithful. So when we sing these songs about praises, I praise the name of the Lord, let's worship the name of the Lord, and so forth, we need to realize what we're singing. We're singing, I praise you for who you are. I praise you for all your glorious attributes. And he was calling on the, the, the cup of all that God is, the name Yeshua, and then he really reiterates it. He says, I call on the name of the Lord. It's really the same thing. So this is the thought of the next verse in the Corinthians passage. Paul believed in Jesus' death and his resurrection. So even when his heart wasn't at rest and his concern for the church just overwhelmed him, he reminded himself of the coming victory that he was sure of. We see it in what he spoke as a response to his faith. He looked to the word of God and reassured his heart. Verse 14, knowing, in 2 Corinthians 4, 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is what Paul speaks from a believing heart, his conviction from that psalm, his faith response to the scripture regarding the Corinthians. He knows. He doesn't just hope or wish or desire, but he knows with certainty that the God who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus. We die with him every day and we will be raised with him right now, spiritually, day by day. That's the power to face hardship, to face frustration. It's in the resurrected life of Jesus in us right now. We have resurrected life because Jesus lives in us and he is the resurrection and the life. He and the church of Corinth had taken the cup of Yeshua. They'd called on his name. The seal of the Holy Spirit is what guarantees that our bodies as well will be raised. We are raised spiritually every day as we die to our old nature, but we will physically be raised as well. And we know that because of the seal of the Holy Spirit God has placed on us. And that's what baptism declares dying with him and raised to newness of life, raised to that, with that resurrected power. 
There's a day coming when we will all rise together into the presence of our Savior. And Paul's declaring the glorious outcome of the Corinthians' faith and his faith as well. It makes the little squabbling issues that the Corinthian church was going through really seem petty by comparison, doesn't it? And the little things churches go through, I mean, when you look at what Paul's talking about, okay, having, having the presence of Christ in us, having the life of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ in us today to, to live in him and him to live in us, as we talk with people, as we go about our, our, the calling that God's put on our life, what are all the little squabbles churches go through? They're just petty. They're nothing compared to this. And I think he's emphasizing that because he's, he's trying to lift their eyes up from this, these temporal things that don't matter to the things that are eternal. The trumpet's going to sound and the dead are going to be raised incorruptible. And our spirits that are with Jesus will receive the new bodies that are like, Scripture says, that are like his glorious body. Hallelujah. We're all going to experience that together. Uh, we, we just had a great uh, sense of unity on our trip with the 28 people that we went with. It was just a wonderful sense of unity. And it gave me a little sense of what he's saying here. When you die, your spirit goes to be with Christ. Paul said, I desired uh, to, die, to go and be with Christ. Now, it's better than staying around here. But if it's necessary for me to remain, then God will have me stay, and that'll be good for all of us. But he wanted to go and be with Jesus. When you die, you're with the Lord. Your spirit is with the Lord. But you don't have a heavenly tent yet until Christ returns. And when Christ returns... All of us together are going to be in our new heavenly bodies. Amen. That's a wahoo. Paul declares, I know this to be true. He's not saying I, I'm speculating or it's my interpretation from the scripture. No, he says this is what's going to happen. This glorious day is coming. That's the outcome of all the dying to self, all the sacrifices, all the serving, our time, energy, heartfelt compassion for others, it all concludes in that day when we see him face to face in a body that can handle beholding his glory without collapsing. Verse 15, for it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Because Paul knows this is the outcome, where it's all headed, he can declare this. All his serving, all his sacrifice for their sake, he's not serving himself like the false teachers were, uh, making profit from their ministry. He wants to see them secure in Christ and rise with him into Christ's presence. He wants to see the grace that they've received extended to more and more people. He wants to see the kingdom of God advance. Is that what you want? Is that the desire of your heart? We can't make it happen, but we can look to the Lord 
to do that through us as we yield our lives to that service. We can be the instrument of delivering that message of grace to more and more people. And when that happens, thanksgiving abounds to God. You know how grateful you were when you were first saved, when that load came off your back. It's so wonderful. And more and more people have it. There's more and more thanksgiving that goes up to God, not just then, but all throughout their life because we start to realize how much grace God has given us. And it's all for the glory of God. When souls come out of darkness to light, God's glorified because we see his mercy and his grace and give thanks not only for their salvation, but for the opportunity to serve and be a part of God extending that grace to more and more people. That, as we saw in the preceding paragraph, is Jesus manifested in our mortal flesh. There's no higher calling than to see Jesus manifested in our mortal bodies. One of the young young men on the trip that we invited to to lead us in the music, we sing and worship at the different places we go. And he remembered as a child coming to my house when we still had a house church. And he said, uh, it was the only time he and his parents and he visited, but he said, I kept using the word manifest. So he used to call me Paul Manifest because I love that verse in, in earlier in the chapter that says that it's all about the life of Christ being manifest or expressed through our lives. People to see Jesus in us. And when he gave his testimony, he used that word. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So this calling that we have Uh, to be Christ to others, to let the life of Christ uh, be through us. It's definitely not about us. It's about him and him expressing himself through us. And that takes many different forms. I think when we're young in the Lord, we think if, if, if we're called by God, we have to go to some God forsaken place or become a pastor, (laughs) but it takes many different forms there's a young 20-year-old, you know, when we show the Friday movie night, he's the guy in the center, the really tall guy. His name is Maximilian. He's 20 years old, and his wife, who are friends of Jesus in the house, live in Phoenix, and his calling is to skateboarders. So he goes to skateboard parks, and he shares the love of Christ, because that's the world he came out of. And he has a church in his house, and these skateboarders are growing in Christ and hearing the word of God and becoming witnesses. Now, they would never end up in a traditional church. So God put this on young Maximilian's heart, and he's using him for his glory. And thanksgiving is abounding to God. And then we have Shari. who was opening her chocolate store in West Sedona and was gonna name it Communal Uprising, but God changed it to Living Chocolate about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And he put on her heart to be closed on Sunday so she could be here and worship on Sundays. And she serves her customers and she finds opportunities to share the love of Christ. Uh, 
part of it gets started with that Jesus in the house sticker in front of the register. And then there's Zapia who just opened her tattoo and hair salon named Awakening. Guess who gave her that name? (laughs) And think of the clientele she will reach with the message of God's love, people that would never come through the doors of this church. In fact, she has already started. (laughs) Got to witness to one young man already. You can support her by having your hair cut there, by the way. And even if you're retired from your career, the love and joy you express in your daily encounters with local business people and just people you run into, with your family, your children, your grandchildren, can remind them that there's more to life than we see with our eyes. Be bold in sharing the love of Christ, but do it with sincerity and and the love love of the Lord. I was watching Pastor Singh witness on, on our tour. He'd be walking by people, and all of a sudden, he I guess the Lord would prompt him, and he'd come up to them, and he would just love on them and wait and watch for an opportunity to talk about the Lord. And we never know how much time we have. Remember Mahdi. Our opportunity comes and goes. Many of you served the Lord by serving others. Some of you helped with Sezo. You were the arms of Christ to help Sonico with Sezo while he was still with us. I heard stories how some of you just did little things that gave him a smile and encouraged him. Do you think God sees those little things? I know he does. And that's an expression of his heart. Not only does he see it, it was him through you. As the grace which Christ lavishes on us flows through us to others, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The chapter began by telling us that Paul and his team didn't lose heart because of God's great mercy, that he'd given them this this honorable mission of telling people about the wonder of the new covenant and all that Jesus has done for us. In this verse, he's telling us that they don't lose heart for the same reason, but he's elaborated on that ministry, what that ministry implies in in these two verses. He explained that the ministry was the shining light of Christ into the darkness of this world, experiencing the life of Christ manifest in our mortal bodies, sustained through the hardship by the power of God, and continually dying to self so that the life of Christ can be seen in us. It's also the assurance they had in knowing that the resurrection would include those to whom they were sharing the light of Christ. And all this service ultimately to bring glory to God. If, if we can embrace this as our calling as well, we too will not lose heart. These mortal bodies that represent Jesus to the world, they grow old, they wear out. As our old nature is continually being put to death, But our inner man, 
the new creation is being renewed day by day. Our daily renewal only deepens as we mature in Christ. We call it the process of sanctification. It's like a child growing older. You know, we see the changes that take place and as they develop. Paul even referred to that, by the way, in his, the, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, putting childish ways behind us. Those of you, you know, have grandchildren or you have cousins that, that live far away and you only see them once a year or even more and you see how much they change. And sometimes if it's long enough, you hardly recognize them. The same should be true of our spiritual growth. We should always be pressing forward. But unlike our physical bodies that age and deteriorate, our spiritual life can just grow deeper and richer as we age. If, and that's an important if, if we continue to behold his glory. While we decrease in physical strength and crucify that old nature, we can increase in spiritual depth and wisdom. Our last years here can be the spiritually best years of our lives as we mature in Christ. You know, so I meet some people who have retired and they retire from fellowship as well. I don't understand that. It makes me wonder if they saw the church as a club rather than a spiritual family. Go deeper, brothers and sisters. Always be going deeper. Never slack off seeking to become more intimate with your Savior and the knowledge of his word so that grace might abound to more and more people. I have known several elderly people who could no longer walk and they were bedridden and they would ask me, including my own mother and my grandmother, why am I still here? Why, does, why hasn't God taken me home yet? And of course I'd always say, you can pray. Praying is so important and God's given you this downtime so you can grow deeper in your intimacy with him and pray for the church. Pray for the ministry, pray for people you know and love that your family, that they, that they grow in Christ. One missionary whose testimony I greatly admire, Charles Kalman. If you haven't read about Charles Kalman, um, there's not a lot written about him, but he, there is a, a biography or two out there. Amazing man gave his life to Christ. Uh, he was a telegraph operator back in I, when telegraphs just first started, and he rose to become the youngest head of one of the branches of the big telegraph centers. And he got the call. He got saved. Um, his wife did first. She brought him to church. He came. He he heard the sermon, and his his knuckles were white on the pew in front of him because he didn't want to go forward. As soon as he got to his house, he fell on his knees and received Christ. And then he just had this God-inspired boldness. He'd witnessed to everybody in his whole division. And then God called him to go by faith to Japan. And before he left, before his ministry finished, he had put gospel tracts in every single home in Japan. And then he went to Korea and got almost every home in Korea, and he started on China when World War, World War I, I believe it was, broke out. And by that time, his body had just given out. 
he had burned himself out. He was raising up other people to do it, local people, but he himself had just exhausted himself and his heart was failing. And he took, gathered his family around him. They went, uh, they took him back to the U.S. and he was bedridden. And he gathered them around and said, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away, be with the Lord. But he spoke to all the kids and the family and, and he lived five more years. <laughs> But while he was in bed, people from all over the world wrote to him, and he responded to every letter with Holy Spirit-inspired answers that touched many lives. Wherever we are, we can bring that grace to more and more people so thanksgiving may abound to the glory of God. So what does the unbeliever have to look forward to? They think it's the end, that life's gonna cease. It's the end of their prayers, their joys, their pleasures, their hopes and dreams. And when they ask why they're still alive, we can't give them an answer that they'll accept unless Christ is working in their hearts to helping them be open to hearing, to lay down their pride and consider that there may be more. And if not, there's only hopelessness. Well, this verse certainly seems to apply to, to body versus spirit. You know, our, our, this tent is wasting away, but our spirit's being renewed day by day, especially for those who live a long lives. That's not really Paul's point, though. To Paul, the outer man, the Adam nature, the fallen sinful man is what is wasting away. Praise God. We're crucifying the flesh, and the more we do it, the more it dies back and gets weaker and weaker. And the inner man is the second Adam in us, Christ Jesus, our Lord, Jesus on the inside, which is being renewed day by day. That's a more glorious contrast. Our sinful nature is dying, and our new life in Christ is being renewed. And the word renewed there actually means reconstructed. Our new life is being reconstructed. It's being put in order. We're, we're learning how to walk in the Spirit day by day. The process of deconstruction and reconstruction is taking place right now as our new life is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That's Colossians 3.10. And the final reconstruction will occur at Christ's appearing when the whole person will be redeemed and conformed to the likeness of the last Adam, God's son. Thus, Paul was heartened because amidst the stresses, all the perplexities of the apostolic ministry he had, the old nature was deconstructed and he was being reconstructed in the image of Christ. No faint heart here. The transformation is, for, is, is far too glorious and encouraging to allow that. Verse 17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul calls his daily dying to his old self and the wasting away of the outer self a light and momentary affliction. <laughs> For those who are unfamiliar with the things Paul's referring to as light and momentary, he lists them in chapter 11, verse 23 to 25. I'll read it to you. Far more imprisonments, 
countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from the, the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Light and momentary. Compared to what? Well, he means... Yeah. <laughs> compared to what? He means compared to what we will inherit. It's light and momentary. But it's certainly light compared to eternal judgment from a just and holy God. If his trials were light, how light should we consider our momentary afflictions? We dread afflictions like cancer, but what's that compared to eternal judgment? We fear rejection, but what is that compared to a life without Jesus? We're concerned about aging, but Paul says our spirit can continue to grow and be renewed day by day. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul wrote that the, the, this, the burden, the weight that almost crushed him. But here he says, that is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. That glory is so wonderful that it's beyond all comparison. And that is how we should view all affliction that we endure in this life. Whatever we're going through is preparing for us this big load of glory that's incomparably wonderful. In other words, we will look back and say, man, if I had known that that's all I had to endure to get this, <laughs> I would have gone through it a million times over with joy. I often say we're, we're either in a trial or going into a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial. There are few days when everything is just peachy keen and perfect, right? But I realize, but realize what the trials are preparing us for. The old man's wasting away and the new man's being renewed so that when you see your Savior, when your reconstruction is complete, the load of glory will overwhelm your soul. No wonder James says that when we face trials of many kinds, we should consider it pure joy. Our reactions to circumstances in life depend mostly on our perspective. And that's what the next verse is telling us. There is a wasting away of the body of the old man and dying of that, of that old nature with light and temporary afflictions, but on the other hand, there's the daily renewal and the eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So it depends on where you focus. If your eyes are fixed on the problems, you're gonna wallow in the problems. If your eyes are fixed on eternity, you'll know it's a light and momentary affliction.
If you're totally focused on the here and now, your old nature will crave physical things. And it'll whine. <laughs> Even when you get them, it'll still whine. Or when your health's not what you want it to be, or when your spouse doesn't respond the way you want them to, or whatever. Ask yourself if the thing that's agitating you is temporal or eternal. If you can see it with your physical eyes, it's probably temporal. If you cannot see it, then it's probably eternal. This is the dividing line upon which we should determine our values and the use of our time. If we're laboring for a physical thing so we can show the love of God to others, your spiritual eyes are on eternity. That's why Paul says in Ephesians that we're to work with our hands so we may give to those who have need. We provide the daily needs for our family because God provides for us. So while we live in this world and we work with the things of the world, the eyes of our soul are fixed on our Savior and what he has for us now and for eternity. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what our baptism declared. But we must continue to crucify the old nature. Sadly, there seems to be ever-increasing passion in our day for the visible. And every imagination of the heart of man craves some variety of the tangible in hopes that it's going to fill the emptiness within. Our passions are shaped by where our faith and hope are placed. The trials and the disappointments of life help us turn our faith to the unseen. That faith determines how we live in the present. Every one of us is either living for what's passing away or for what is eternal. Where is our heart set? Immediately following the prediction in Isaiah 41 to 5, um, that prediction which John the Baptist said was his calling to, to make a highway for the Lord, comes Isaiah's question about what he is to cry out. And the, that these verses, um, Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8, were, I woke up this morning at 2.30, I'm kind of jet lagged, and this, this verse was just going over and over in my mind. And I realized God wanted me to end with this verse. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, in Israel, we saw city after city that were once glorious, and now are just ruins. We just visited ruins and talked about past glory, you know, and tried to have pictures of how glorious it was at one time. What an illustration. All the glory of man is nothing. It fades away. The beauty and passion of youth, grand structures created by man, our treasured earthly possessions, wealth and health, it's all flesh. Fading grass of the field, here today, gone tomorrow. 
There's only one thing that stands forever, only one thing investing your worth, investing your life in, and it's the eternal word of our God. And as we enter into this wonder of Christmas season, we know the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song, and then I'll give the benediction.